could you begin to pass those out there? Um, homemade macarons made by our one and only Bee Kids director, Sarah Payton, who is not in here right now because she uh, spent part of her Mother's Day weekend making an awesome black light dance room for the kids, and so she wins. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. <laughs> and if you've uh, been thinking about being in Bee Kids, now more than ever is the perfect time. Dance parties every Sunday. Uh, thank you guys so much for helping us with this. I want to let you know about a couple events coming up. I want to talk a minute about the offering and our Connect card. So first of all, um, if you're brand new here this morning, we're so glad you're here. Thank you for being here. And when you came in the door today, you should have received an orange Connect card. Uh, and I would love for you to fill that out anytime during the service. And then you can hand it back to the person who gave it to you or tuck it in our offering box. We'll just reach out in a real simple way to say thanks for being here. And um, I want you to know too, if it's your first Sunday, that I'm going to talk about the offering now, but that part is for people who regularly attend and call branches their church home. So if that describes you, uh, you can give via cash or check at the offering box in the back or any of our digital options. When we, um, when we who love Jesus and have given our lives to serve him are part of a church family, we give a portion of our income back to the church as a way of saying, Jesus, we love you and we are willing to give uh, back to you just a little bit of what you have given to us and trust you with this church family. So we thank you for those of you who have made that choice. Uh, I want to let you know that the woman's retreat we've been talking about for a couple weeks now uh, at the Syracuse Vineyard had to be postponed till later in the year because um, that church family has suffered the loss of their former pastor's wife, Leanna Butcher, who is very dear to them. And the funeral is happening at the same time the woman's retreat was going to happen. So I would ask that you pray for Kent Butcher and his family and that you would um, plan to attend the woman's retreat when it is rescheduled and we'll have a date for you soon. We do have a men's conference coming up in June, and that's still on, and we would love for you to get signed up as quickly as possible for that, because the deadline is coming soon. And so uh, in order to help you register or to answer any of your questions, Damon Johnson is going to be in the lobby after church, and he will help you get registered on the spot or answer questions or anything you might need. So please see him after church, and please plan to attend that. And then I want to let you know that in two Sundays on May 22nd, we have a B-Kids takeover in church. Woo! It's going to be really fun. Really good time. We got some great tricks up our sleeve for you, so plan to be here for that. It's going to be a super fun Sunday where we get to have worship with the kids and be all together in a really fun atmosphere. This morning, I decided on Mother's Day to talk to you about one of the great mothers of the Old Testament story, Hannah. And I want to give credit before we get going to two scholars, Tony Cartledge and David Sumura, who both wrote excellent commentaries on the book of First Samuel. And if you read the story of Hannah with your 21st century lenses on, uh, there's a lot of issues with it. It's hard for us to read it and understand it. So today I'm going to do my best to help us get into Hannah's worldview and the way that her world thought about the story, and uh, hopefully that'll bring it all together for us. The essential element is that this is a story about a woman who was longing to be a mother. 
And that is a longing very specific and unique to some women. And if that is your longing today, I want you to know that the Lord loves you and hears your longing and that the Old Testament is filled with stories of how God takes special and keen interest in the cries of women who are longing for children. And every woman here longs for something, and that might be something you don't yet have or something that's not even possible for you to have or a dream that you've let die because you can't see it ever happening. And if you've been waiting a long time for something, I, I want to encourage you today and give you hope that you have a Father in heaven and your Father hears your longing. If you belong to Jesus, you are his daughter and the Father listens to the cry of your heart. And so I want to tell you, first off in this story, that God honors and esteems women. We'll get started in 1 Samuel 1, 1 and 2. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in a place. He was the son and grandson of some people. Backstory. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah did not. This story starts with Elkanah, and it leads you to believe that it's a story about him, but it's not. This story is about Hannah. Hannah is highly honored in this story and in the story of the Bible. She is prominent here, not her husband. And her story comes at the end of a very dark period in Israel's history, occurring at the end of the time of the Judges, which we can read about in the book of Judges. And that book ends with a story of the horrific brutal abuse and murder of a woman. And that story is in the Bible to tell us how far Israel had gotten away from God and how their distance from God made them do terrible evil to human lives. And so Hannah's story is the bright transition point at the very beginning of the book of Samuel. Her story starts the change in Israel's history. She is the catalyst, the heroine, because her son will grow up to be the person who saves Israel. He will be a hero and a great prophet. And what's amazing about Hannah is that in the midst of a deeply patriarchal world where the culture around them and even Israel in their fallen state placed women far below men in worth and status. But Hannah is given the highest place of honor. Her story is recounted in detail. She's directly quoted and she wrote a song that's recorded in scripture. That's a place for kings and prophets. The culture of the world diminished women and left them out of history books. But this story tells us that God honors and esteems women. Today, women, God honors you. God esteems you. But this story is, of course, recorded a long time after Hannah's life, you know, with tons of perspective and hindsight. And, and when we're just living out our lives, our own stories, you know, we don't know what's going to happen to us. 
It's not pretty and tied up with a bow. It's messy. It's hard. It's real life. And Hannah is a woman who's longing to be a mother. And while many women understand the longing to be a mother, this um, was different in her culture. In her world, a woman's mostly only uh, measure of value in society was her ability to produce a son. In that culture, a man had to have a male heir to pass on his name and his estate. And if a man didn't have that, he was worthless. And so a woman's value was measured by her ability to produce a son. And if you couldn't, if your body did not allow you to do that, it was a source of deep shame. And so this is what Hannah is living under, and it is painful for her. And there is little more in this world that causes despair like infertility, and my heart aches for you if that's your battle. And, and you know in very particular ways that Hannah lives with deep disappointment and, and misery, And I would imagine that everyone in this room, in your own way, knows a little of Hannah's misery. Because all of us are longing for something that we do not possess. You might be longing for your mother today, and she's not here anymore. Or longing for a loved one. Or longing for a relationship with your mom that you've never been able to have. You might be longing for a more meaningful career with a boss that appreciates what you bring. You might be longing for health in your body that was ripped away from you. You might be longing for a child who's struggling with mental health or other difficult things, and you just want them to be well and happy and healthy. Maybe your home is unsafe and chaotic right now, and you long to be in a home that you can truly rest in. Maybe you're longing for the companionship of a spouse or boyfriend. You might be longing for your family to accept you for who you are now, not who you were when you were a kid. Maybe you're disappointed by a relationship and longing for what you used to have there. Maybe you need more income. You long to not be under so much financial stress. Maybe you're a person whose longings are a bit more simplistic. I am longing for a dishwasher that does not leave a white film on all of my glasses. And I know that the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, but I'm pretty sure that's never going to happen for me. Here's the key component to Hannah's story that I think made all the difference for her life. Though Hannah was struggling, she was faithful to Yahweh. She stayed close to God. And I know that can sound a little trite. Just be a good Christian girl and everything will work out fine. That's not what I mean. But I do want you to notice something cool. In the story, the way it's written, there's like a bookend, bookends to her story. And the first, very first thing it says about Hannah is that each year they, her family, would travel to Shiloh to worship. And the last line of her story says, and they worshiped the Lord there. Hannah's story begins and ends with worship. And women, what I hope for our lives and our stories, starting with the point that we meet Jesus, is that that our lives would begin and end with worship 
with attunement to God. And the fact that Elkanah and Hannah's story begins and ends in worship sets them apart. Like I said, this was a real bad time in Israel's history. They were not close to Yahweh. They were not, they were not living according to the covenant, which means that they were living in the same kind of foolish, reckless living that gets us in trouble and keeps us from the good life when we're not close to God. And in the midst of that, Hannah's family was faithful The covenant required them to travel to the tabernacle in Shiloh once a year to um, have a physical, tangible touch point with God, with God's presence. And making this trip showed not only that they believed in Yahweh, but that they maintained the practices of their faith. Because, friends, keeping the practices of our faith matters. It grounds us. Being here on Sundays, spending time with Jesus on your own, is like Hannah's faithfulness. Those practices keep us. And I think we'll see that they made the difference for Hannah. So we'll get into the story here. Each year, Elkanah and the rest of the family would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at that time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. On the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Penina and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Penina would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Okay, let's break this down a little bit. The trip to the tabernacle is the highlight of the year. It's one of the Jewish holy festivals, and God designed those festivals to be fun, to be a time of celebration and feasting and joy with family and friends. So you'd bring an animal, the priest would sacrifice it, take part of it for the sacrificial offering, and then your family would eat the rest of the meat along with other special food and wine that you brought, and it was a party. All your friends were there. All your family was there. It was a great time, and and it would have been been great for Hannah too, but because polygamy was a thing back then, there was a love triangle going on between her and Penina and and Elkanah, and it ruined the holidays for her every time. So what's probably happened is that Hannah, or Elkanah loved Hannah. She was his love, the love of his life. But over time, she wasn't able to have children, and that became clear. And it was so important in that culture that you have a male heir that he married Penina, the second choice. And every time they went to the tabernacle to worship, he reinforced his favoritism of Hannah by giving her the best portion of meat. And that little, just that little jab was so hard for Penina. I'm sure she felt the, her, her second rateness, her unlovedness. And so she would then retaliate by attacking Hannah And if you notice in the text, it says um, the Lord had not given that, that Hannah didn't have children. And we understand that to mean Hannah couldn't have children. She had infertility issues. But then when Penina talked about it, she said the Lord had kept her from having children. So what she was doing was turning that into an attack. God is punishing you, Hannah. 
God does not think you are worthy of children. You do not have worth in God's eyes. She was attacking her identity. And then Elkanah was being a coward. He wouldn't get involved and defend Hannah. And, and, it, and so, you know, the sister wife was always ruining these days. It's like if you've ever been at a Thanksgiving meal and you have some uncle there who is wrecking it. There's all this delicious food around you and it's like, tastes like sawdust in your mouth and the tears are right behind your eyes and she just wouldn't, she couldn't eat. She was just totally shut down emotionally. And then Elkanah clearly doesn't know what to do and he says the dumbest thing to Hannah. Why are you crying, Hannah? Why aren't you eating? Why are you so downcast just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than 10 sons? She's like, Mm. You do not want me to answer that. <laughs> Hannah feels attacked by Panina. She feels misunderstood and placated by her husband. And she is miserable and she anticipates it happening every year. And then it does and it just makes it worse. So listen, I know that many of you are facing similar situations. I'm sure for the most part you have a really great life, but maybe you also have a loving husband or boyfriend who sometimes misunderstands you or doesn't listen to you. Sorry, guys. I love you too. Uh, Many of you have a person in your life who's made it their mission to make you miserable. Many of us feel ignored or passed over by friends and family, unseen and unheard. And in those times, we really need to know that God hears us, that Jesus listens to us and fully understands us. So I want to show you how Hannah reaches her breaking point and the point where finally something shifts in the story for her. And it's a defining moment because she knew that God heard her. So this whole scene is just played out once again, like it does every year. She's feeling absolutely sick to her stomach. She's doing all she can to hold back tears. She can't eat a thing. And this year, unlike the other years, she's over it. And so she gets up and she goes to a different part of the temple and just starts having it out with God, pouring out her heart in prayer. It says Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And I I just want to point out here that she didn't lash out at her sister wife. She didn't yell at her husband. She didn't clam up like she always had in the past. She went and prayed. She went and poured out her heart, wrestled it out with God. And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies. If you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. What? He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. Okay. I love that Hannah was not ashamed or, you know, embarrassed to mourn and grieve even in public. This is really healthy. She's not lashing out at her loved ones. 
She is letting herself finally feel and give full weight to her emotions and cry it out and yell it out and wrestle it out with God, and that's healthy. We all need outlets to express our emotions, to feel our feelings, to get them out. And by giving herself permission to finally express her emotions, Hannah came to a place where she was determined she would not spend the rest of her life this way. And so Hannah didn't just have like, you know, event sesh, she prayed. She took her emotions beyond herself and she poured them out before the Lord right there in the tabernacle, like her own offering on the altar. Dr. Sumura's commentary said that the phrase prayed to the Lord is better translated prayed before the Lord. And that word before, it's like the first time this phrase is used in the Bible and it tells you that something is happening that's really special between God and Hannah. It has this sense of her being like fully absorbed in God's presence where she just has forgotten the world around her. And remember that Hannah is in the tabernacle, which Israel knew was the one place on earth where the physical manifestation of God's glory lived. There is no place you can go to be closer to God. Hannah is positioning herself near God. Woman, Are you making it a priority to position yourself near God? Are you making it a priority to be here on Sundays, to receive the prayer that we offer every single week, to really give yourself to this hour and a half that we spend together? If you belong to Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in you, and you can meet with God anywhere, and that's part of positioning yourself near God too. But so often, this is the time and place in our week where our attention can be most focused on God. Don't waste this time. Receive all of it every week. And for Hannah, like her in the tabernacle, she'd been there so many times before. She was positioning herself over and over close to God. And that enabled her to pray with all of the longing inside of her. And in that moment, she came to an understanding with God. She would surrender it all, turn it all over to God. She decides right then that if Yahweh granted her a son, that she would give him back to God and have him spend his childhood as an apprentice of the priestly family in the presence of the Lord. And if God did not give her a son, she would accept this fact with peace, knowing that she had done all she could. And sometimes I think we reach a similar breaking point. We got a situation going that's out of our hands. We've done everything we can. We've put up with it. We've dealt with it. And then we're just done, like done. And sometimes that's exactly what God has been waiting for. We've been trying to control it, trying to fix it, trying to manipulate it. And when we get to that point where we realize, like, I got nothing I cannot do anything about this. That's when we're finally ready to surrender and give control to God. It's a grace. We suddenly have clarity of our need for God and our utter lack of ability to control this part of our lives. And it brings not only peace, but strangely, a sense of empowerment. Like, I have you, God. And a few moments ago, that wasn't enough for me. And now it is, no matter what happens. And if you know that you need 
to reach a surrender point in your life over an issue you've been wrestling with, ask God for the grace to bring you to your breaking point. You need it. So Hannah's like, you know, probably ugly crying at this point, real big mess. She's praying silently, though. And Eli is actually sitting really close to her. And he's like sort of the old retired priest. And he gets to sit in a special chair in the tabernacle. He's sort of the grandpa. And he sees her praying. But people in those days didn't pray silently. They only prayed out loud. And she's praying silently. And so he assumes that she's been at the festival for a couple hours now, hitting the sauce pretty hard, and she's a little tipsy. And so he's like, what are you doing showing up here drunk, lady? Can't you leave your wine at home? And she's like, oh, no, sir, no. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged. And I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think that I'm a wicked woman, for I've been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. Well, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat again, and she was no longer sad. I think Hannah was no longer sad because Eli was the confirmation she needed that God had heard her prayer. Maybe she felt, because of what Eli said, she felt sure it would happen, or maybe she just felt a peace because she had surrendered it and she knew God had heard her. And the fascinating thing to me is that she had just made a very, very costly promise that would be hard to follow through with. But she's at peace because she knows God's heard her longing and she trusts God with the outcome. And so the story goes on to tell us, in due time, she gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel. For she said, I asked the Lord for him. If you read on in the story, too, she got to have other kids, too. And what Hannah didn't know was how significant the birth of her son would be. It fulfilled every longing of her heart, but it had a greater purpose. This is the part of following Jesus that's a mystery and an adventure. We make the best choices we can for our lives. We seek the leading and direction of the Holy Spirit. But we never know exactly what God's up to and how Jesus is at work directing us this way or that way to bring about our flourishing. So Hannah made a promise to God that sounds impossibly hard and to me, pretty irresponsible, would not recommend that prayer, would not recommend a vow like this in any way. But what she didn't know was that God was going to use that vow to change the course of history for Israel. All she knew was that God had heard her longing and she was going to make good on her promise. And so I want to say to you that whatever you're longing for, God hears you. As Romans 8 says, God is working in your story, bringing all things together for your good and for God's glory. God isn't causing the misery in your life. God didn't cause the loss you're suffering, but God is working with it because God takes everything in our life and uses it to shape us to be more like Jesus, more loving, more kind, more whole, and to make good come about in our lives. And this is why it matters that we stay close to Jesus, because we'll miss all the big and small and tiny ways that God is working in our lives every day if our heart is 
bitter or hard or distant. God heard Hannah's longing and fulfilled it with great purpose. So then in the story, she keeps Samuel home for three or four years, the first few years of his life. And then at that point, the next time it's time to go to Shiloh for the tabernacle trip, she brings Samuel with her, this time to leave him there. And she said to, to Eli, Sir, do you remember me? I am the very woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me this boy, and he has granted my request. Now I am giving him to the Lord, and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worshiped the Lord there. Well, I am astounded by the puzzle pieces that come together in this story. If Hannah could have had a child effortlessly, popped out as many babies as she wanted, she probably never would have made a vow like this. And it was a vow that seems like the worst thing a mother could do. And then Eli agreed to it. That's interesting. Okay, I guess I'll raise your kid and adopt him into the priestly line. Like it was a normal thing to drop your kid off at the tabernacle. It wasn't. <laughs> and in his commentary, Sumura calls Hannah the mother of the kingmaker. Her role was so significant. Her sensitivity to the call of the Lord on her life directly influenced the, the story of Israel. She did not know that by being raised by the priestly family in the presence of the Lord, her son would grow up to be a great prophet and ruler of Israel. The one who would lead Israel to repentance and turning back to follow Yahweh. She did not know that the Lord would call him to anoint the first two kings of Israel and raise up the line of King David, the greatest king of Israel, and the ancestor through whom Jesus came. And the Bible recognized that this only happened because of his mom. God heard Hannah's longing, and God answered her prayer in a way she never could have imagined. And much later in history, Hannah's song becomes the prototype for the song Mary sang when she learned she was pregnant with Jesus. That means Mary knew her story and knew her song because Hannah was such a well-known, important person in Israel's history. God heard Hannah's longing, and God will hear you too. You have longings in your life that have not been met let yourself have it out with God when you need to. Feel your feelings. Think all your thoughts. Express them to God in whatever way that comes out. Tell God what you want and need. And yes, it probably will look a lot different than you think or sometimes even what you want, but there will be purpose. God will not waste your pain and your longings. Stay close to Jesus. Position yourself near God's presence. Keep the practices of your faith. They're growing strength in you that you can't always feel. Even if you go the rest of your life without the answer, God is working to bring about good in your life. Let your story begin and end in worship. Today, woman, mother, Young woman, know that God honors and esteems you, and God hears your longing.
God wants your story told, your voice heard, and your song recorded for all to hear. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you just speak your love, your presence, your affirmation, and your honor over every woman sitting here? Thank you for the ways that we reflect your image uniquely. Thank you for the ways that mothers reflect your image uniquely. Would you cause us to have confidence in our heart this morning that you do hear the cry of our heart, you do hear our longing, and you will come to us. In Jesus' name, amen.